created in the image of God. Amen. By God's grace, our churches would change and our communities would change. Daniel Darling, a few people asked me last week, who is this Daniel Darling guy? I was gifted this book. Thank you, Richard, Karen. A um, couple months back, fell in love with this book. Finished it, started it again. Um, while reading it, I was like, what is this guy wrote? I've never read him before. Um, so of all things, I've been studying for Dignity Restored and found out he wrote a book, The Dignity Revolution. So I'm a little slow to the take, but um, I bought the book. Fantastic books. I recommend them to you. Please consider purchasing them. Let's pray. Father God, would ask you right now for that new quiet revolution whose foundation was the simple premise that no matter who they are, every human being is created in your image. Lord, I pray, start that revolution in me. Start that revolution in us. Bring about that revolution in your church across America, across this world. God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point number one, the foundation on which the appeal is made. Paul is making an appeal and we're going to talk about the foundation that he makes that appeal. Now, if you've been married for more than five minutes, you know that it's not just what you say, but how you say it. It's not simply about saying the right things. It's about saying the right things the right way. Each of us has the ability to say the right things the wrong way. It's the gift I bring to my marriage. Here's the right thing. Here's the wrong way to say it. Paul, in his letter to Philemon, says things. And he says the right things the right way. Meaning, he's making his appeal from the friendship, the relationship that he has with this man, Philemon, rather than the demand, which he could do, from his apostolic authority. He's not browbeating, and yet he is being extremely clear as to what Philemon needs to do. And the foundation that we're talking about here is Paul appeals based on love. Let's look back, verse number eight. Accordingly, though I am bold enough, like he's saying, though I got it in me to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And so he's not beating him down and he's not using his apostolic authority. He's pulling from the foundation of a relationship and it's a relationship built on love that he makes his appeal. Verse nine, yes, yet for love's sake. Now, Paul is not writing to marriages, but I just want to pause for a moment and just help us just notate. This is marriage 101, Philemon. You can learn so much about marriage in this letter. And this is parenting. He's putting on a parenting seminar as well. Why do we as parents push our authority around the living room?
Here's what I'm not saying. In dealing with the foolishness of a child, I'm not saying there's never a time when we need to be authoritative. Absolutely, we do. But if that's the foundation of the relationship, parent to child, authority rather than love, then we have an Ephesians 6 moment. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So he says, I'm bold enough, but that's not where we're going to go, Philemon. That's not where the appeal is going to come from. Rather than a demand, I appeal for love's sake. Rather than authority, I appeal out of friendship, out of a foundation based on that love. Your foundation to your home is not amazing, right? Like nobody stood at the front door of your house and said, wow, what a foundation, And there's something about the foundation of your home that goes deeper than the foundation. And that's called a footer. And we're kind of making a joke about it in the first service, but that's so, uh, as I've just been like rehearsing that word this week, you know how words sometimes just hit you and you just go, that's such a weird word, footer, footer. And so I've been saying it all week, footer. And I'm trying to imagine the construction scene someday way back when, when, you know, these burly guys came up to each other and one guy, you know, looking at the foundation said, that, fo- that foundation, it needs a footer. And everybody else looked at him and said, man, dude, where'd you come up with footer? Footer. But Paul's foundation of love has a footer to it that we need to see. What is a footer? Maybe you're wondering what a footer is. Footers are trenches filled with concrete reinforced with rebar. The purpose of the footer is to support the foundation which supports the house, which prevents settling in the house so that when you're playing marbles with your five-year-old, the marbles don't fall off the table and the living room doesn't slope. Sorry. <laughs> We've got an issue going on here in the Burgess's house right now. Don't go there and play marbles. You'll lose the marbles. That's right. Your house, uh, it might slope or it might begin to develop cracks on the outside or the window won't close or the door doesn't close to the jam like it was created to do. If you don't have a footer, you're going to have problems. Foundations and footers are easily overlooked. Like I said, nobody stands there and says, wow, amazing. But they are critical to the stability and the strength of the structure in which it holds. And so I want to say to us, Christian, you need a foundation and your Christian walk needs a footer. A footer reinforced with rebar. Don't attempt to build a Christian home without them. Now here's, the, here's what they are made of. The foundation for Paul, his foundation for Paul's appeal is love. But the footer reinforced with rebar for his loving appeal, ready, is love. You said the foundation is love. Yes. You said the footer is love. Yes. We might think of it like this. The foundation for, God's, for Paul's appeal is Philemon, love your brother Onesimus, but the footer reinforced with rebarb that will keep this house from sloping and cracking is the love poured into you from Christ. Paul, he's saying, Philemon, 
you have received love, give love. We pour into lives around us because the love of Christ has been poured into us. And so Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak or Ephesians, Paul to the Ephesians, while you were an enemy of God, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly, for the enemy. Paul's love, you see, Paul's appeal doesn't just appear out of thin air. It's a reasonable love. It goes different. It goes deeper than him saying, Philemon, my brother, you're a good guy. Offer love. You're a good friend. Here's the problem with that. What happens when Philemon isn't a good friend? Like the appeal to us this morning isn't, you're a good guy, you're a good gal. Offer forgiveness to your brother because sometimes we're not good guys and good gals. We need a foundation. We need a footer that goes deeper than being a good guy and a good gal. And the foundation is love because love has been poured into you. Christ's love poured into us. Number two, the foundation of love will be tested and strained. Welcome to the church. Remember last week? Welcome to the church. Come on. I just, I'm just so tired of people. I'm so tired of community. Welcome to the church. Where else are you going to practice Philemon? I'm just going to stay home and be by myself. It's me and Jesus. Well, that's not Philemon. The only way you do Philemon is this. Come to community group. Come to Trinity on Sunday where we will um, guarantee you opportunities to be offended, to practice the Bible. How do we forgive? So it will be tested and it will be strained, your foundation. So far, the letter has been quite easy. If you're Philemon, you've received this letter. But now the full extent is beginning to get unpacked as to why this letter, where did this letter come from? Why is Paul writing to this? If you, just a quick review, verse number one, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, you know, Philemon's going, yeah, Paul, my bro, Timothy, Love these guys. To Philemon, our beloved, yeah, fellow worker. Like, how cool is this? Yeah, we are brothers. We're fellow workers, fellow soldier. To the church that's in your house, verse three, grace to you and peace from God. Remember, we unpacked that last week. Verse four, I thank my God always for you, Philemon. <laughs> I smell a setup. <laughs> 
I thank God for you always. And I remember you in my prayers. And then he, he launches into prayer, right? And I pray that the sharing of your faith, remember, that's not evangelism. That's the koinonia. That's the fellowship of the faith that he's talking about there. So he's praying for Philemon. Philemon's going, this is a great letter from my bro, from Paul. And then he says, verse seven, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through, through us, through you, sorry. This is fantastic. Verse eight, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ. Ooh, this is starting to sound a little different. To command you to do what's required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you. And this is the first time he uses the name. For my son Onesimus. My child Onesimus. Now he finds out this is the point of the letter. Onesimus, that guy who ran from me, and it's speculation, but probably stole from me. That guy that I have a huge offense against, and that's the tone of the letter. This is not Paul just kind of going, this will be an easy thing for you to do. This is, this is difficult. This is hard stuff here. Here's what the gospel life will call you to. Here's what love poured into you by Christ will call of you or even demand of you or will lead you to. Here's the the appeal that Paul is making that because of the love of Christ that's been poured into you, enemy of Christ, This is what that love now calls you to. Have you found out that your walk in Christ is not an easy stroll in the park? We do a disservice to people when in evangelism, we tell them all you need to do is just pray this. The call to Christianity should be counted, the cost should be counted so that an individual says, well, I I prayed that. I prayed that when I was six. I I did that last week. I'm good. Everything's good. We, We need to help folks understand. No, listen, the call to Christianity is to be a follower of Christ. It is to lay your life down. It's war. This walk in Christ, it's war. And it's not war with others, it's war with ourself. Have you found out yet that Christianity is a life that calls you to die? I don't like dying. (laughs) We're called to die to ourselves. Now, immediately, uh, some of you are thinking, what about John? What about John 10? What about, what about in Christ, right? We've been given life more abundantly. You are. And you know how you get there? Through dying. It's an upside-down kingdom. 
The abundant life comes from the believer's continual death to self. That's why scripture can say crazy things like it's better to give than receive. Wait, what? That's a call to dying. That's why scripture can say not only love your neighbor, love your enemy. Wait. That's why Philemon has, well, we would say, quote unquote, has a right to be offended. He's been wronged. There's nothing in this letter that says, Philemon, you're wrong here. That's not the point. We always make that to be the point, right? Because if I can make the point, I'm right. If I can make that be the point, then I'm off the hook. The point isn't that we are right. The point is, what are we called to based on the gospel, based on love being poured into our hearts. The point of the book, the point of the Christian life isn't whether or not we're right. It's, it's that we're called to loving forgiveness. That's the point of the little letter that we're in. Rather than being right. Think about it like this. We have this incredible love that God has poured into our hearts. The perfect one pours that love into our hearts. The offended one. The one who, right, no one in human history other than the Lord incarnate Jesus himself can say, I was right. And yet, he died. It cost him everything to bring about forgiveness in our hearts. So that we might now forgive others. That's the foundation. That's the footer. And I'm saying that that foundation and footer will be strained in the Christian life. The tornado will come knocking against that house. This church is the gospel life. This is the gospel on the ground. This is how the gospel is not just simply something that we know up here factually, but how it is to function and live in our everyday lives. This is the gospel in your living room. This is the gospel in your school and in your workplace. This is the gospel in your community group and in the church. This is the gospel functioning in marriage and in parenting. This is the gospel church more than a set of factual truths. It lives on the ground in our lives. More than what saves us, praise be to God that the gospel saves us. But some people think, well, I'm saved by it. Now I need to move on and I need to move into something deeper. You cannot grow deeper than a better and better and growing, growing understanding of the gospel and its effect on our very everyday lives. The gospel is more than what saves. It guides us and calls us for love's sake. And when it does, it strains at our Christian foundations. 
When was the last time you were relationally strained and stretched? If it's been a long time, it might be because you're keeping relationships at arm's length, right? I've jokingly said so many times, but I didn't sin before I got married. No, I was sinning. It's just, you know what? If Tim wanted to go right, he went right. And if he wanted to go left, he went left. And it wasn't until I had a wife to saying, I want to go left. And I'm saying, I want to go right. That exposed what was already there in my heart. And then I had one, two, three, four children. And it just continued, the exposure just continued to grow. Right? If you haven't been strained or tested your foundation relationally, it might be because you're keeping relationships at arm's length. So this is the radical nature of the gospel. People say, sure, I'm a Christian. Why not? I need Jesus. I don't want hell. And besides that, I was born in America. Some say, I don't want to be too radical of a Christian. What does that mean? Well, you go to church every week. Well, you read your Bible, like you literally read the whole thing. Like that's just too radical of a Christianity, right? And we, we, we even think that, you know, we just don't wanna be that radical. Not, not necessarily those examples, but I don't wanna be that radical. Listen, our issue here at Trinity is not that some of us are getting too radical for Christ, Who is too radical at Trinity? Answer, no one. <laughs> Our issue is going to be, God, help me to die to myself again today. I want to live for you, not for myself. I want to be a follower of you, not a follower of Tim. What kind of Christianity are we describing? Is there such a thing as a too radical Christian. I think if we're reading through the New Testament, the New Testament speaks back to us and says, no such animal exists. See, Christianity is not for wimps. Philemon is this super incredibly short letter, but it packs a punch. It is a radical letter. Paul sends this letter and it's going to knock up against the house of Philemon. It's going to strain at the foundations of his heart. Paul, again, verse 9, I appeal to you. I'm an old man. I'm a prisoner for, for, for Christ. I appeal to you. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. He's my child. I became his father in my imprisonment, meaning we have this relationship. This is like Timothy to me. He's one of my spiritual children, meaning Onesimus most likely came to know the Lord through the ministry of Paul. This is my guy, Onesimus. I'm his father. This is my, this is my son in the faith, that guy. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
Listen, that's what conversion does. There's a transformation being spoken of here. He was useless for you. Now he's useful, not only for you, but for me. If you are a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, that could be said of you as well. It's not that you never did anything useful prior to Christ. It's not that unbelievers are not doing useful things, but eternally speaking, you were useless. You came to Christ and you are now useful. Praise be to God. Not because you're amazing, but because he's amazing. Not because you're a great guy or great gal, but he's a great savior. We will never know, you may be here this morning and you might want to argue with me and by all means, Joe would love to have coffee with you. (laughs) I'd love to have coffee with you. You have questions and struggling even with this next comment, but if you are not a follower of Christ, eternally speaking, you are useless. Come, boy, you want to have significance in life? This world screams for significance. You want to be a significant mother? Come to Christ. You want to be a significant man living in this world? Come to Christ. This is where you become useful for eternal purposes. Now here's the thing. Melinda's here, so she's not allowed to answer this question because she was in the first service and she already knew the answer to this question. But does anybody know what Onesimus's name means? Useful. It means useful. Wow. Like I said in the first service, oh my lucky stars. What a fluke. I'm stunned in amazement. It means useful because that's the name God had given him. Verse 12 I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Oh, do you hear the relationship in this letter? This is not formal. This is personal. This is not just some, again, authority. This is friendship and relationship. Listen, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus to you. And as I do, you're getting a piece of me. You're getting my very heart goes with Onesimus to you. This is what? This is more dying, right? Like, okay, don't die to yourself, Paul. Keep Onesimus for yourself because he's useful to you. No, the Christian life, the gospel calls us to die. This is mission. This is the life in Christ that says, I must give. I must, I must not be selfish. It sends people, people who are dear to us. This is not Paul saying, take Onesimus. He's driving me crazy. I'm done with this guy, right? Like, can we please? When we send people out, we ought to feel a bit of this. When you see the Shropshires on the screen, in West Africa, we should feel a bit of this. That's my very heart. I 
selfishly would prefer them to be here and leading a community group. send our very heart. Verse 15, for this purpose is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. Or maybe loosely translated, this is why he left. (laughs) This is why he left. Maybe, maybe, Loosely translated, Philemon, maybe this is what God's up to. Paul is speaking redemptively here. God, God's in this mess, Philemon. This whole broken relationship thing that I'm now appealing to you to restore based on love because love's been poured into your heart. Um, all of that, God's in that. God's in the mess of our relationships. God's at work, Philemon, for this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. In other words, perhaps God is at work here and he's redeeming this relationship. Onesimus was the slave who ran from his master who was useless to him. But perhaps God is at work, Philemon, because when Onesimus ran from you, he ran into me, Paul. And when he ran into me, Paul, he ran into Christ. And he's been transformed. And so I'm sending him back to you. Perhaps, for this, perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. See, Paul's got his own story about running from a master. And when he ran from Christ, he ran into Christ. Perhaps that's your story as well. Number three, the slave, master, and now brother relationship. The relationship has radically changed, is what Paul's saying. Philemon, this relationship is not what it once was. He'll still work for you, but he's not going to work for you as a slave. He will work for you as a beloved brother. Read verse 16. So that you might have him back forever. 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. How radical is the gospel? Philemon has every, quote unquote, right I'm not listening to you, Paul, but because the gospel has transformed him, it transforms our relationships. It's a radical call. It's a radical gospel. We were created in the image of God. Where do we get human dignity from? Huh, you were created in the image of God. That's why we said last week, which I'm so tempted every week to unpack this further, but hold the thoughts. That's why evolution can't say human dignity. It tries to, but the worldview doesn't add up. If there's no creator, if you've evolved from pond scum, there's no reason to cry human dignity, whatever the case might be. The reason 
we are pro-life is because we're created in the image of God. The reason we want to fight for the elderly person who's days away from death is because that person is created in the image of God. The reason why white, black, right? Rich, poor, whatever the categories we might say is because you're created in the image of God. That's why Genesis 4 is a radical tragedy. As Cain kills Abel, and Lamech brags about how much better killer he is at the end of chapter four. Created in the image of God, that's human dignity. Then the fall, dignity is destroyed. Then the redemption, dignity restored in Christ Jesus by the blood of Christ Jesus. So what does a believer do? Created in the image of God, restored by Christ. How do we address human dignity? We restore dignity. We fight for the unborn and the elderly and the lost. Hear me. We fight across the political aisle on social media. We fight against racism and oppression and the exploitation of the weak. It doesn't mean we cower. It doesn't mean we're weak. It doesn't mean that... that, that we are agreeing with everything that's on social media as if that would be a category. <laughs> That'd be an interesting animal, wouldn't it? Don't hear what I'm not saying. And it's not even about being right. It's about communicating right things in the right way. It shows dignity. Christians who are saying the right things the wrong way are little more than a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal which shows up in all things in the context of love. The world can't hear you. I wish I brought some cymbals. Electric drums behind me. I know I can't. Yet they can't hear us. All the noise and the gonging of the cymbals Saying right things the wrong way is just noise to this world. Saying the right things the right way is winsome. It shows respect and it actually gives you a voice to speak. Hear me. Don't let our tribal affiliations and cultural prejudices blind us to the need of humanity. We engage with all peoples because all peoples are in need of what we have been given in Christ Jesus. My concern for us is that we can be too easily shaped by social media, too easily shaped by political convictions rather than biblical convictions. There's a difference. Too easily shaped by disgust for those people on the other side of the political aisle. In other words, Paul's saying, Onesimus, well, he's saying Philemon, forgive Onesimus, which is to say Philemon, forgive that lowly guy. Forgive that guy that you could easily, Roman culture, you could easily have him tossed in prison. Forgive the guy, you could easily have him beaten to a pulp and nobody's gonna bat an eye, forgive him. 
the lowly Onesimus? What kind of gospel sells us short? Christ died for me. Christ rescued me, the undeserving, from the pit, but then goes on and ignores the beaten and bruised neighbor in the ditch. Let's leave him for some other good Samaritan to come along and take care of him. I'm busy right now. It's not about being conservative. It's not about being liberal. It's not about being right or left. It's about being Christian. We live not under the banner of any lesser thing in this world. Jesus Christ and him crucified is our banner. When we are more informed, when we are more led politically than we are informed and led biblically, we have lost our way in the woods. We are a radical people. Justin, are you in the room? Justin, come join me. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) We are a radical people. Because we've been radically redeemed by a radical Savior. Our Savior radically came by becoming a human being to save us, taking on human flesh to save us. His death was a radical death. He ascended and he radically sent his spirit to now live in us, not to tweak us a little bit here and a little bit there, but to radically transform us through and through, to radically give us power to proclaim a very radical message to forgive. It's a radical call. I'm right. To not forgive, that's easy. That's default mode for Tim. It's coasting. But forgiveness, that's miraculous. Love your neighbor? Oh, sure, as long as he keeps his lawn cut. As long as my picture of what a neighbor should be, as long as he fits that, and maybe, you know, maybe he slips up a little bit, but as long as that's the case, then love your neighbor, no problem. It's not what we're called to. That's easy. That's default mode. And of course, Jesus notches it up. It's not just love your neighbor. Love your enemy, who might just be your neighbor. That's the radical nature of the gospel church. That's what we're called to. Because love has been poured into the foundation and footers of our lives. We love. I would much rather forgive those who are less offensive to me. That's not the radical call of this little letter called Philemon. Stand with me. Let's joyfully sing to our loving, forgiving God.